my fellow crazies. You guys are awesome. It's nice to see you here today. And uh, full disclosure, I did pray for this. And maybe you did too because you're here. But just to give myself a little coverage, my wife also prayed. Sorry, I'm throwing you under the bus. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also, just to protect myself, whatever happens next weekend, because the weather's not looking good next weekend, single digits, I didn't pray for that. So don't, don't blame me for that. That's somebody else doing that. So I'm glad you're here today. Uh, hello to all the crazy, not crazies, who are watching this on the podcast later, smart people. But we're glad that you're all here, and I hope that you experience something that's genuine and real of God today in your life, wherever it is that you're watching this. So several years ago, I had a work computer that had what... Um, PC Magazine rated the worst operating system of all time. Each of you are filling in with your own version of that. I had Windows Millennium Edition. Anybody else have that operating system on your computer at one point? It was awful. The Windows, it was just horrible. I would see the blue screen of death all the time. It was just a regular feature. And mine didn't look this friendly either. It would just tell me something really scary with a long string of letters and numbers. This is what happened to your computer. I'm like waiting for it to blow up. There were so many times that my wife would come to pick me up at work, or it was time to go home. I would shut my computer down. It would say, now installing one of 2,050 updates. And I'm sitting there hostage to my computer waiting for it to update. I fixed my computer finally. I got a Mac, and that took care of it all right there. Yeah, anyway, so <laughs> there were days that I would I'd spend all day fixing the computer so I could do my work. It was not very helpful. But one of the things that Millennium Edition brought with it that I did like and this was good. They brought us a feature called System Restore. I don't know if you remember this or not. It would keep a snapshot of your computer as it actually was in that moment, and it kept several of those, so you could go back in time. Like, and so I loved how they said it. It was something like this. If changes made to your computer have left it in an unsatisfactory condition, yes, you may use System to Restore to reset your computer to an earlier version. So you can figure out, when was my computer still working right? Oh, that was last Tuesday um, 1885, but you could go back to the date when you knew before I installed that program or before whatever it was happened, I could go install that exact version of the computer, and it would be before all the things that had made my computer not work, and it was great. It was a lifesaver, and you know, wouldn't it be great if there was a system restore button for life? Oh, I wish I hadn't eaten that. System restore. You go back to a time before you ate all the pizza yourself. You know, ooh, I wish we hadn't spent that. Wouldn't it be great if credit cards had a reset button on them? Like, you, just, you hit the little chip on the card and it goes, boop, down to zero. Wouldn't that be awesome? How about relationships? I'm, I'm talking to everybody, but maybe the young people, maybe some of you can remember this. Is there ever a relationship that you went through that you wish you could go to a time before the relationship started? It's like, like, it didn't even happen. Is there anything in your life you just wish you had a, maybe it's a career, maybe there's a semester in school you wish you could do, the, you're getting ready to take the test in school and you wish you could go back to a time before the test so you could tell yourself to study? And there's so many things in life, but wouldn't it be just great to have a redo on and just say, you know, if I could do that, I could go back to a time before I started the habit, um, you know, I think my, my dad would say, like, he wanted to go back to a time before he started smoking. And he finally quit smoking. And I'm not against smoking or any other. But there's some things that you just go, I'm not sure I want this in my life. Would it be nice to hit system restore? And, just, and that's what this whole series is about. We can't undo what is done. In the past, what's done is done. But with God's help, from this point forward, things can be so much different and so much better. And uh, last week, we talked about hitting reset on our future. Thinking about from this point forward, what can I do so that things in a year out, five years out, ten years out, 
Because we're going to be somewhere three, five, ten years from now. Let's make it the place that we want to be and the place that God wants to be. And this is a great point to say that if you missed last week, you can go back to our website or go to iTunes, get the podcast, and watch that and any other messages we've had here. And you can see more about that. I was thinking about something Levi Lesko said that I quoted last week. He said, your future you is an exaggerated version of current you. So if you're currently, you know, just... Do it, mailing it in, future you is going to even be more of a slacker. If you're really just hitting a 1,000 right now, that's where you're headed. So we want to set a good trend right now. And today we're going to be embracing some things that will also take us to a healthy place. It really, today as we talk about this, and you want to grab one of these, it really comes down to who you trust. There's a point where you can say all you want, I want things to be different in my future, but it also comes down to the help that you have in your life to make those changes. As you're finding this, find your Bible and find Acts in your Bible. I'm going to take you to a true story. The Bible tells us about a man whose life literally changed in a single moment. You're looking for Acts chapter 3. This man's trend line was at least this, if not this, and then in one moment it went just straight to good. A completely unexpected turnaround for his life, and the same thing could happen for us if we're trusting the right people. And this could happen. So we're in Acts chapter 3. You're going to stay there today, so you just go ahead and we'll go through it a little bit at a time. True story. I'm going to start in verse 1, and this will be on the screen too, but I encourage you to get one of these. Even if you don't have a Bible, there are some on the table out here in the commons, and if you really don't have have a Bible, it's not like you just don't know where yours is, you take that Bible home. Now you have a Bible. So it's just sometimes it's good to see things on a paper version because when it's on your phone, that's great, and I love the smartphone app, and I highly encourage you to use it. But there's also something about your brain seeing things in the context of a page that helps you remember it better, the whole tactile, kinesthetic, touching the Bible. So I don't think it's an either-or. I think it's a both-and. You need one of these, too. So all that to say, let's start reading this. True story. Peter and John went to the temple 1 o'clock one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Well, as they approached the temple... A man lame from birth was being carried in, and each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one they called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money, and we'll stop there. Somebody's got a problem. This guy does right here. If you've ever been to Bush Stadium, what I just read to you, you've experienced, right? You've had somebody ask you for money look you in the eye, call it out, got a sign, whatever. I've been asked for money in multiple countries and in multiple languages, and I'm not criticizing, condemning, or judging anybody. It's just the reality of our world. There are always going to be people who need help, and they're going to ask for it in this way. And so I'm not criticizing people with a disability, but this guy here has never walked a day in his life, which has created an awful situation for him. Can you imagine... 2,000 years ago, when this took place, what would it be like for a person with a disability? When you don't have the Americans with Disabilities Act, when you don't have a social security net and a safety net to take care of people, when you literally have to depend on the kindness of strangers to make sure you eat that night, what would his world be like? On top of all the other things about, like, you've never experienced things that other people in your life have. You've never walked anywhere. You literally have to have somebody else carry you wherever you go. Think about all the things you do in a day. Think about everything. You're just completely dependent on someone else. And your best hope for survival is... Well, I got this temple gig, and I'm hoping that people who are going to church and worshiping at the temple are going to be generous so that I get to eat tonight. He's got a problem. Author uh, Travis Collins talks about a time he went camping with a friend. 
And they'd been watching the forecast kind of like we were all weekend. It was raining a lot, but they decided to go ahead and take the risk and go to the campground because it stopped for a while. As they were pulling in, it was dry, but it had been raining for a long time. So Travis's friend set up the tent. Travis said, I'll do the campfire. I'll cook. And so he's going around. He is not able to find enough dry firewood to start the fire. So he tells his buddy, I'm going to go back down the road to the ranger station. They probably have some there under a shelter or something. So as he's driving down the road, he passed another campsite that they had just left, and they had naughty people left their campfire still smoldering. Well, it had been raining, so I guess they didn't care. But Travis said, I saw that little wisp of smoke going up, and I went like, well, they've got dry firewood. So he stopped his truck. He went over to their campsite. He grabbed a log on the end that was sticking out of the fire that hadn't burned, and there's still a little smoke coming up. He grabbed some logs, threw them in the back of his pickup truck, and went on down the gravel road to the ranger station. When he pulled up to it, to the lean-to, as he got out of the truck, he went... Oh my gosh, someone's got a problem. The ranger station is on fire. He smells this burning smell and he sees smoke and then all of a sudden it occurred to him, I'm the one with the problem. The back of his truck was on fire. As he'd rolled down the road with this log that was not burning, this, the wind from driving down the road had reignited the logs and it had burned through the liner bed of his truck and there's this fire going in the back. It's like, the problem is me. This guy in this story you know, he has a problem too, except he knew it. I wonder how many times we have a problem and we don't know it. And we think everybody else around us is the mess. And it's another thing to realize, no, maybe it's me that has the mess. It went through this all weekend. Nobody knows how to drive in St. Louis in the snow except me. You all are, not you all, you all St. Louisans should, you know, slow down. It's another thing to go, maybe it's me too. Or maybe you're on the other side of that. I talk to so many people who feel like, I come to church and everybody else has all got it together and I am the only person sitting there with problems and nobody else would, and they'd freak out if they knew I was here. And like, no, you don't get it. Everybody would just put on a good act. It's like uh, uh, one guy said, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he said everybody's, oh, John Ortberg. He said everybody's normal till you get to know them. Right? We're all, we all got our things. Every, everybody's got a problem and, and it's easy to see this guy's problem. Like you can't walk, you're begging for money, but all of us have our issues. And so I guess I would just ask you to be really honest with God this morning. You don't have to tell me, but I'm a good listener. That's part of what I do as a pastor. But just to be honest with God at least, and maybe somebody else, what is it that's really bothering you? What is it in your life that you just can't deal with on your own? Well, let's keep going. Verse 4. Peter and John looked at him intently. I mean, they're like making some serious eye contact. He's scanning the crowd, but they're looking at him intently. Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. So the, Peter and John offer him something, in their opinion, better than money. How about you get up and take a walk, which would be incredibly rude and hurtful to tell a person with a disability, just get up and walk. Unless you have the ability to actually make that happen. So just to, I don't know what the guy thought when they offered him get up and walk. Like, there you go, what? You think it's fun to make fun of a person who has disability? What? Is this how you spend your day? You go around looking for people to troll? I have a feeling there was something about Peter and John that was different than he'd ever experienced before. If nothing else, maybe when he looked at them, he thought, I don't know if these guys are crazy or what they've been smoking, but they obviously believe what they are saying because of what happened next. Maybe, I don't even know that, that maybe God whispered something into that lame man's heart and said, 
you can trust these guys. They're telling you the truth. So he allowed them to pull him up. He stuck his hand out. Peter grabbed him. I don't know exactly how it looked, but they grabbed him by the hands. They pulled him up. Look at verse 7 here. It says they grabbed the lame man by the, the, left, or the right hand. They helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, never done that before. He stood on his feet, never done that before. He began to walk, again, never done that before. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And a man's life changed forever. Man, it's been a while since my girls were that toddler stage where they're holding on to everything, creeping around the house. Those of you with little ones, man, enjoy that time before they walk. <laughs> that's, that's the last time you got true freedom. Man, but this guy does instantly what it takes our kids like a year to learn how to do. Guy has never walked before in his life, and he goes straight to walking, leaping, praising God. Woo, look at me. Look what I am doing. Who wouldn't? This guy's life was changed physically. Like he's, he's able to get up and walk around. It's changed his life financially. He can go get a job. He can go do things that normal people get to do that he's never done before. Relationally, he can take a girl on a date. He can get married, raise a family. Spiritually, did you notice that it says that he went with Peter and John into the temple? Do you think that maybe this is the first time he's ever actually gone to go to church to worship? It changed his life spiritually. Maybe, I don't know, I don't like to read too much into things that I don't know. I'm going to ask the guy some point, but I don't know if he went through life mad at God about the, the way his life was and why didn't you do something different when I was born. I mean, this just changes everything. What a way to hit reset on your future. And then another thing for him, spiritually speaking, do you think Peter and John are just going to let him kind of draw his own conclusions about how this happened? Don't you think that they almost immediately started to tell him about a guy named Jesus who has the power to do this? I don't know how you picture this, but I appear like the guy is just running around making a scene, raising a racket, jumping around. I look at Peter and John just kind of going, yep, that just happened. A little fist bump. That was awesome. So uh, look at what happened next. You can't hide something like this. All the people saw him, this is verse 9, walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. News spread quickly. This is the guy that they've seen every time they walk to the temple to, to go worship. They know him. They know that he's never walked before. They've seen him for years. And uh, he was like a fixture, and people obviously want to know what happened. Uh, Solomon's colonnade was the place where the church would often meet at the temple, the, the Christians and new followers of Jesus. So there's, they're gathering there at the 3 o'clock time of prayer, and people are wanting to know what happened. I like how the message paraphrases this. When Peter saw he had a congregation, he addressed the people. That's what preachers do. Let's, let's talk. How did this happen? Verse 12, uh, Peter saw his opportunity, addressed the crowd. This is, he, he preaches a sermon. People of Israel... What's so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? No, that's not what it is at all. For it is the God of, our, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer, Barabbas. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Man, talk about a pivot. 
First Peter's talking about the guy who's walking. He immediately pivots to Jesus. Oh, by the way, you all are the ones who killed him. Good job. God comes among us, the author of life, and you killed him. Way to go. He pivots to the most important thing. You people here in this audience right now, you all have a problem, Peter is saying. And then look at verse 16. This guy walking right now, you know how that's happened? It's through faith in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Look, I love you all. I do. I love being a pastor in this church. It's a privilege to serve you. It's an honor to say that I represent you. But I know my limits. I can't heal you. I'm happy to come pray with you at the hospital, but I can't save you. I can't transform your life. I can't give your life purpose and meaning. Jesus can do all of those things. And so it's my privilege to talk to you, but don't look at me as though I'm doing something. I know you don't anyway, but in case you were ever tempted to, it's Jesus who does all of that. Man, putting your faith in Jesus is what will completely transform your life. And so many of you, as you look at me right now, you can tell me the same thing. You know because Jesus has transformed your life, and you've got a story to tell. So when we talk about putting faith in something, what is faith? I like simple definitions because it just helps me. You know, faith is like a spiritual word, and I think we often use it the wrong way. So let me just give you a very simple, what the Bible means when it says faith is it's trust or belief that leads you to action. Just write that down. It's just real simple. It's trust or belief that leads to action. Whenever the Bible says somebody had faith, it's literally saying they trusted God and they did what God said because they trusted him. They believed him when God said something like, like Noah, I want you to build an ark because it's going to, the whole earth's going to be, Noah had faith in God. He trusted God. He believed God. He built the boat because he's, he's telling the truth. That's what faith is. When you have faith in someone, you take action in what, because you, you act as though what they're saying is true. So back in the 1800s, there was this guy named Charles Blondin. He was the evil Knievel. He was the Travis Pastrana of his era, just a stunt guy. He came to America, and he was a tightrope walker, and he walked a tightrope across Niagara Falls. It was just a feat to get the rope across there. So they got the rope, and it's in the middle of the 1800s. He walks from America across Niagara Falls on a tightrope to Canada. People are, like, freaking out. It's this huge thing. I think we might even have a picture of him. Yeah, so there he is actually doing it. Halfway over, the guy is such a stud that he stops at the point where the rope is like swaying here. Over the river, he hollers down to a boat, drops the rope down to them. They tie a bottle of wine to it. He pulls it back up, finishes the whole bottle. You know, this is before recycling. I'm sure he just chucked it in the river. And then finished off. He got to the Canadian side. One of the guys pulled him off, and he said, I wouldn't look at that again for a million dollars. The guy who pulled him off was so freaked out. So Blondin gets, now he's over in Canada on the Niagara Falls, and then he rests for a little bit, and then he, he's going to go back across again. And about halfway across, it's going so well, he starts running. And then he pulls out a camera. Somebody sketched it. He took a picture of the crowd waiting back on the American side again, like a selfie, the first one right there. This guy is amazing, and the crowd loved him. He was good, and he knew it. He kept doing this for years, and the stunts would get bigger and bigger. He put a bag over his head, and he walked across. He would do somersaults on the rope as he would go across. He would run. He would just do all these crazy things. One time, he carried a guy on his back. Would you do that? He actually teased the crowd one time. He said, do you, I'm blonde in the gray. Do you all believe I can do this? Yeah, he had a wheelbarrow. Do you think I can get this wheelbarrow across? Oh, yeah. Do you think I can get a person across in the wheelbarrow? Oh, of course. Who wants to go? No one. Nobody wanted to do it. So I guess my question would be, 
do you really have faith in him if you're not willing to get in the wheelbarrow and go, right? You can say you have faith in him to get you across, but if you don't act on it, do you really have faith and trust? This, is, this lame man was healed by his faith. And, and here, I don't want to stretch it too far, but when Peter said, you want to be healed and stretched out his hand, the guy didn't have to you know, try to stand up, but he took an action. Like He believed that God was about to do something powerful in his life, and so he allowed them to pull him up. Now, here's something that we need to keep in mind. Faith can be misplaced. You ever experienced that? We, there's nothing on the other side of it. You can be the one who is trusting, but the person or the thing that you are trusting cannot be maybe worthy of your trust. They may be lying, or they're just not able to follow through with what they're promising you. The, there are times, like... <laughs> I've told you, if you've been around a while, you know we've got a dog named Rosie. She's a chocolate lab, totally food-driven. Oh, man, that dog loves to eat. She's a tubby little thing. I think we got a picture. There she is. That's our Rosie. She's an old grandma now. Still loves her food, though. So Kirsten, on New Year's Day, took Rosie for a walk. She gets walked twice a day, every day, without fail, at least two times a day. So that's our only way to just stave her off from being a 500-pound Labrador retriever. So, New Year's Day morning, they have their different routines. Kirsten usually takes her in the morning, and today, Rosie says on New Year's Day, let's go down to see Mary. It's at Starcrest Cleaners down the street, and Mary knows what Rosie likes. Mary gives her dog treats at the dry cleaners every day. So, Rosie, about once or twice a week, wants to go with Kirsten to go see Mary. She'll wait in line with the cars and then get up to the window, scratch the window, and wait for Mary. And Mary loves on her and, you know, doesn't call her tubby like I do. And So, New Year's Day, Kirsten goes with Rosie, but knows what's going to happen, but Rosie's insisting, because she's not that smart. In some ways she is, but in other ways, no. And so she gets to the dry cleaners. There's no one there, because it's New Year's Day. There's no one outside in the parking lot. But Rosie goes up to the window, scratches, and waits. If Kirsten hadn't insisted, she'd still be sitting there today, waiting for a man. But there is no one there. Rosie has full faith and trust that if she sits there like a good girl, that she's going to get food. Is she ever going to get food? her faith is misplaced, at least that day, because her mom took her there anyway. <laughs> we have been told our whole lives by every Disney movie, by every motivational speaker, by every self-help book, if you just believe in yourself enough, you will achieve. If you believe, you will achieve. The power is within you. The greatness is within you. All you have to do is just dream it and it will happen. And I'm telling you, if you're putting your faith in that, in yourself, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I mean, it's, it's good for some things. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not dismissing the power of discipline and effort and, and making some goals. That's, that's awesome to do. It is ultimately your responsibility to take responsibility for your life and to try to make some transformations and to say yes to those things. But if it's only you, that's not enough. Unless you invite God to get at work in your life, it's just not going to happen. That's why Peter didn't tell the crowd that appeared, hey, go get all the other people with disabilities, bring them in, we're going to have this huge healing service. Because the biggest issue you have in your life may not be what you think it is. You may think you know exactly what the problem is. If God would just take care of this, it's going to be okay. Your biggest problem isn't your finances. It's not a disability that you have. It's not a relationship. It's not somebody who won't talk to you. It's not a habit that you've got. It's not an addiction. It's not a anything. Your biggest problem is that you are disconnected from God. That's it right there. 
Everything else stems from that. Everything else in your life that's wrong is a symptom of the biggest issue, which is that we are disconnected from God, and everything else flows from that. Peter didn't just sugarcoat it at all. He said, you have rejected Jesus, the author of life. You and I are incredibly broken. At our best day, we are unable to fix what's wrong with ourselves. Good news is God doesn't require us to. He doesn't expect us to. Second, this is over into the book of Ephesians. It's also in the Bible. It says there, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. You know, it's by his grace that we've been saved. It's a gift. See, what you can't do, God just offers to give you as a gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to pay it back. You don't have to somehow do 10 great things. You just ask God, and he'll give it to you. So if you were to go back just a little bit, we're in Acts 3. Peter told the people here, here's what you need to do. And this is down in verse 19. Now repent of your sins. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will ascend, again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. He goes on in verse 21, he says, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Jesus will come back, but right now you can still turn to him. Peter was preaching a different sermon, maybe to some of these same people a little bit before. If you were to go to Acts chapter 2, people ask, well, what do we do with this? Because we've really blown it. And Peter told them, here's what you need to do. You need to repent, again, just like here, repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what faith is. You trust God, you trust Jesus, you turn to him, you repent, you change your way of thinking about the things that have been going on in your life, and the things you thought were fine, maybe God tells you they're not fine, and you repent of that, and you turn to him, and you trust him, and then you obey Jesus by doing what he commanded you to do. You know, I've talked to a lot of people and maybe you've said this, and I'm not criticizing if you have, but people will tell me when they talk about their faith background, well, really, basically, my thing is I'm a good person. And I'm not arguing with that. I think you're awesome. Uh, so I'm thinking that whether it's God that I stand before or if I just have to answer to the universe at large, I think that the good that I'm doing in my life is enough. And I would, again, say I don't know that you're a bad person. I think you're awesome, but I don't know that it's enough. In fact, God... And the Bible has gone on record as saying it's not enough. There's not enough good in your life to make up for the, the brokenness and the things you've done. But again, you don't have to. He's willing to give you this gift of Jesus. So if faith is trust that leads to action, what does God want us to do with this? Peter said you need to repent, turn to God, find these times of refreshing, be baptized. God gave us this visible thing through baptism. And so many of you have done this. You've gotten into water, which is what baptism is, and been immersed under the water and come out. Uh, is baptism the only thing that God expects? No, but it's the first thing. It's the thing Jesus told us to do. In fact, I want you to just watch this video here. These are several pro athletes talking about their faith in Jesus and what it led them to do. Watch this. I want my water baptism to lead to a conversation to people who need to know outwardly what's happened to me inwardly. When we see Jesus starting his ministry, one of the first things that he did was have John the Baptist baptize him. It was really cool to, to have that you know, feeling that you're following Christ in baptism and, and taking that step to just say, hey, you guys know that I'm a Christian, but I just want to publicly do this because it's something that um, that we're called to do, and not that it changes any of my, you know, salvation or the last 
six years that I've been, you know, a follower of Christ and not baptized, but um, just something that uh, I felt like was, was important for me to do. Once you become a Christian and you know that this is God commanding you to do it, then it's your next step of obedience. It's our public demonstration of, um, you know, allegiance to Jesus. Baptism to me is that public expression. It's that public declaration. It's standing before the body of believers and saying, look, God changed my life. I was dead, now I'm alive. Would you help me walk in a manner worthy of God's call on my life? And oh, by the way, I'd love to help you. identify now with Christ. I'm dying to my old self and I am rising to walk in the newness of life. Like literally when you go in the water to get baptized and you are raised, it's like you you feel that new, that new life. Everything felt different. I didn't inherit the kingdom of God when I went under that water. But what I did was I, I finally let go and told the world that I am a child of God. I need the world to know. This is why you're going into the war, and that's why that day is a celebration. It's an outward public display that I no longer belong to the world. I belong to Jesus Christ. Pastor that I'm familiar with out in California, great guy. His name's Gene Apple. He tweeted this out back in November. Great story. This picture here. This is Clay. Clay lives in San Diego, watched Eastside Online at 9 a.m. this morning, that's Gene's church, was so moved to be baptized, he got in his car, drove to the Anaheim campus, and got baptized following the noon service. Now, I don't know if you know much about California, that's a long drive, it's like, should be two hours, was like a day and a half from Diego to San Diego, to, but he did that because he believed that was what Jesus wanted him to do. I mean, maybe, I don't know, we're ready to baptize people anytime, maybe you drove through a snowstorm today to get here to be baptized, that could be your story. I'm going to tell you this, Romans 10, 11 says this, as the scriptures tell us, anybody who trusts in him will never be disgraced. I don't know what your trust in God would call on you to do. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. I would love to talk to you about it. I know that every one of us, no matter where we are in that, there's something next that we can do to trust Jesus. There's always something he's asking you to do. If you trust me, you'll do what I say. For you, it may be that you're ready to accept Jesus and be baptized. And literally every Sunday, every day of the week, we're ready. The water's warm, and we've got towels and T-shirts, and we're ready for you. you maybe you didn't come planning to be baptized today, but that doesn't mean you can't go home wet. And uh, God will keep you safe. I have a friend who's Korean. He says at their church in Korea, they chip the ice, man. So we don't do that for you. We warm it up. But, you know, even if you have already accepted Jesus, if you've been immersed in the water, there's probably something else that you need to do. Uh, and Not probably. There is. Would you just have that conversation with God? What is it that you're asking me and calling on me to do? It may be something where he's asking you to serve into an area that you're just like not even comfortable. Like, God, I can't believe you would ask me to do that because that's just too scary. Well, maybe he is and maybe you need to lean into that. Maybe God's asking you to be brave and have a conversation with somebody about things that are going in your life that just don't need to be there and you need to get rid of them. Maybe God is asking you to be the one who has the conversation with someone else because you see them going down a road that's not good and you're the one that God wants to use to speak into their life. So many things that it could be. I'm here to help you, but ultimately, there's only so much I can do. You need to turn to Jesus.